My name is Drew Dick, and you're listening to Reclamation Worship. My name is Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you so much for dropping in again for another episode of Reclamation Worship. Today's guest is Drew Dick. Drew is an editor at Moody Publishers and the former managing editor of Leadership Journal. His work has been featured in USA Today, The Huffington Post, Christianity Today, and CNN.com. Drew and I talk about his new book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. I know you're going to appreciate this interview as much as I did. And so let's get on over to the interview. Drew, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited about the conversation. Great. So Drew, you just wrote a book, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. Uh, Tell me how this book came to be. Oh, man. Yeah, I wish I could say it was just purely academic interest. But the truth is, I was drawn to the topic, as you know, because you've taken a look at the book. Um, I was drawn to the topic because this is an area that's a challenge for me. Uh, As I looked at my personal life, and in fact, initially, I wasn't even intending to write a book. I was just kind of reading up on the topic. Uh, Obviously, what the Bible has to say about it and some other Christian writers and uh, looking to at it from the psychological perspective. And then as I started to read uh, the literature on the topic and found some things that were really helpful to me, I thought, you know what, maybe this is a book project. Maybe this could help other people too. So great. That, that's how it kind of morphed into a book. Well, great. Well, it, it can help people other than me. I mean, I obviously don't need this. This is something that, uh, that I've oh, mastered. Of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll tell you how much I need it. When, uh, so I, I found out late last week that I was going to have the opportunity to uh, interview you and talk with you. I knew I didn't have time to read the book, so I bought the audio version, and uh, I had a long oh, road cool. trip. Yeah, yeah so I, I listened to it, and um, I was very convicted as I was pulling into a gas station to buy a candy bar and an icy. Um, so <laughs> I, I thought I have no self. It's working already. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But um, so <laughs> even though I believe they didn't, they didn't ask me to use my golden pipes to <laughs> read the book. I was going to ask it you was, about that. It was some other guy. So yeah, you did, it was some other guy. He did a good job, I hear, but yeah. He, he did a really good job, yeah. So uh, would good. you have done it had you been given the opportunity? Of course, of course, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> Maybe the next I, I'm one. I'm trying not to take it personally. Yeah, there you maybe go. Maybe the next <laughs> Very good. So I, I would assume, and, and we get in trouble assuming, I would assume that most people listening to this podcast are Christians, are believers, um, but just you know, in the event that someone is listening that is not, um, you are writing this book as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Am I, am I correct? That's right. Yeah. And and so for me, you know, I really did want to start with what scripture has to say about self-control, this topic. Um, and I, I obviously looked at secular literature as well, but one thing that struck me as I did was that often, um, the books on this topic on self-discipline, self-control, tend to really emphasize, you know, success and power and, and, and not that that's bad, but uh, often that's maybe the wrong goal to, you know, just be a phenomenal success or super rich or 
you know, uh, have a perfect body so you can uh, be vain or something like that. So I wanted to make sure that I'm grounding this in, in Christian principles and, and that we're developing self-control for the purposes that God would have us do it for, not for selfish ambition. Great. Great. I, uh, I often ask my, um, interviewees how they came to know the Lord. So do you mind sharing with us your, your story? Yeah. So after wandering in, in sin and darkness for years at the age of five years old, (laughs) I saw the light. Yeah. So I was, (laughs) it's the worst testimony ever, but I, I was, I remember saying like a, a little kind of version of the sinner's prayer with my dad when I was five years old. He was a pastor. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I certainly, you know, uh, was raised in the church. Um, and yet, I think it really wasn't until my teenage years in high school when I started reading through the Gospels on my own and encountering Jesus almost like for the first time and just kind of falling in love with the person of Jesus that the faith truly became my own. Mm. Um, and so that was definitely a formative event, but yeah, first time I, I said the prayer five years old. <laughs> Great. Good deal. <laughs> so what, what part of the country were you raised in? Well, actually it, it, I should have gotten this out of the way right at the start. I'm Canadian. So I, um, I, I grew up in you know, first Fort McMurray, which is Northern Alberta and then central Alberta in a, a town called Red Deer. So man, you talk about cold. Yeah. I know about it. Um, and, and I've been south of the border now. I moved down in my early 20s to the States. Very good. So you live in Washington State now? That's right. Yeah, the very southern tip in Vancouver, Washington, right near Portland, Oregon. Very good. So uh, tell me about your family. Oh, yeah. So um, part of the reason I'm down in the States now, for good, it seems, is I married an American woman who grew okay. up in the area here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we've been married a oh, while. Wow. 16 and a half years, have three kids, um, a, a boy and two girls. And we just had um, a baby. Well, I should say my wife had a baby three months ago. Congratulations. We had a newborn. Thank you. And she's beautiful and adorable and was a total surprise. Wow. So, but we're just, we're, we're just soaking it up because this is Great. the last one. And so Great. Yeah, it's precious. And and part of the reason I ask you about your family is toward the end of the conversation, I do want us to talk about uh, our children and um, how this book can impact them. So self-control is a, is a huge topic in parenting. And um, you know, when I hear that, that phrase or those words, I immediately think of our youngest because uh, for years now we've been constantly telling her use self-control. It's not just uh you know, for us, uh, it is something for our children that I uh, hope, hopefully we can wrap up the conversation by talking about. That sounds great. So uh, back to the book, um, you did look at uh, biblical truths as well as science. So can you maybe tell us why it's necessary to understand the, the compatibility of, of those two uh, fields? Yeah. Well, and that, that's something that struck me over and over. I would read um, about some sort of landmark study that sociologists or psychologists did when it came to willpower or self-regulation. And I, I would just be struck by the fact that, wow, this really complements and affirms, frankly, what we read in scripture. Like for instance, you know, one of the big uh, studies um, that was done that impacted how we think about this topic was done 20 years ago. And what they found basically was that willpower 
um, is a finite resource. Mm. And all that means is that it, it's, it runs out, right? There's a limited amount of willpower. We tend to think we can resist temptation forever. We can concentrate on a hard task for a long time. But truthfully, we only have a limited ability to do that, and then it gets depleted. Okay. And when I, when I read about that, and, um, I, I, I thought of a lot of passages in Scripture that describe us as fallible, finite creatures, right? Mm. It's no surprise to Christians right. um, that our willpower is limited, and I think it's why we're told to flee temptation rather than stand and fight. Um, I think of Jesus' words to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion when he said the the, the Spirit is willing, but the body is weak, right? Mm. So, mm. Um, and that, that that was a big finding, though, just an affirmation of what Scripture says and a reminder to be really careful because often after you've gone through a difficult season or you've had to withstand temptation in some way, that leaves you vulnerable uh, to uh, succumbing to temptation. Yeah. Um, and even in my own life, like after a particularly difficult day at work, I find that that's the time I'm more likely to maybe snap at my kids mm. or to, you know, you're, you're depleted and that's, we're, we're finite and we need to keep that in mind. That's so good. Yeah. And, and, and how, you know, we should think intentionally about those things. I think that's half the battle is realizing it and, uh, and understanding, having this framework to understand these things. And then you help us, you know, think of ways to put some, uh, some practices in place. So um, what about, um, self-control as a foundational virtue? Where, where is it in the pantheon of virtues? Right. Well, I mean, it's not going to outdo love. That kind of has the top spot, I would say. Right. <laughs> and yet it is, it is one of these um, uh, incredibly important virtues. And, and for that reason that you mentioned, it's, it's an instrumental virtue, is what pe- some people have called it, um, or a cardinal virtue. And that just means that if you don't have it, all the other virtues are impossible, right? Mm. So, can you be faithful to your spouse, say, without self-control? No. Can you be generous? Well, no, because you're going to blow all your money on yourself, and then you can't be generous with others. Can you be, you know, kind? Even even the most kind of basic um, uh, virtues are impossible to cultivate if you can't set aside your own desires and interests, say no to your your selfish um, motivations in order to look out for others. So, yeah, I, I think it's huge. Um, I'm not saying it's the most important, but it certainly is a foundation for other virtues. So what would you say then, Drew, is the ultimate purpose of self-control? The ultimate purpose, I think as Christians anyway, um, and this goes back to what I mentioned earlier, because a lot of people want to develop discipline in their life, but it's for some selfish end, right? But for Christians, we don't really have that option. We we know what the ultimate purpose of self-control is and, and other virtues as well. It's to glorify God. Mm. And it's to love and serve our neighbors. Right. Um, the, the two great commandments really as Jesus put them. Um, and so uh, when people say, well, what about people that develop self-control, to, you know, cause they, they want to look down on other people or puff themselves up. Well, I'd say it's kind of a catch 22 from a biblical perspective. They've already failed. That's not self-control because the first test is self-control. Can you put yourself to the side and right. put God first and others first, right? Right. Um, so even if you seem to be very, you know, working very hard at, at, at tasks, well, you're not really self-controlled in the Christian sense if you don't have those priorities aligned. Okay. And then, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me is reading about what researchers called sanctified goals. Mm-hmm. And what they mean by that is a goal that has some spiritual significance attached to it. Okay. So, for instance, if you, you want to lose weight, well, that's fine if you just say, well, I want to fit into those old pants or look a little better in the mirror. Um, that's okay. But if you attach spiritual significance to that goal, if you say, 
God gave me this body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to treat it right. Um, I want more energy to pursue God's calling on my life. Uh, you're going to have, if you, if you frame it in those terms and imbue it with some spiritual significance, you're actually going to be, and studies have shown this over and over again, you're going to be better at pursuing those goals. Mm. You're going to be more effective at doing it. So the, that ultimate purpose is not only essential to make sure that your priorities align with what the Bible says, but it actually also helps you um, in your pursuit of self-control. You talk a lot about um, willpower and self-control. So do you mind fleshing that out for us? What's the relationship between those two things? Yeah. So like I said, willpower is this finite resource that we have um, and, and it's, it's depletable. So um, the first thing, like I said, is to conserve it, right? You, you want to make sure that you're not expending it needlessly, certainly. And there are a lot of things that expend w- willpower um, from interpersonal conflict to uh, multitasking, which doesn't work anyway, and it depletes your willpower. <laughs> um, so there, there are things like that. There are certain things you can't avoid that, it, that deplete your willpower like children. Um, but uh, there are things that you can, and so you, you want to be careful to, to do that. Um, and then the second thing is, and this is the good news, it can grow. You can get stronger as you intentionally engage in hard things. Um, you will, it's like a muscle. It grows and gets stronger. Uh, and so you definitely want to be mindful about doing that. There have been studies that show that even people that use, for instance, their non-dominant hand for a week, you know, it's something that's difficult. It takes concerted effort. You're brushing your teeth with your left hand they will actually grow in self-control in other areas of their life as well. Right. So as, as you exercise this willpower, is that then what grows into habits? Yeah. Well, and this is the way I describe the, the connection between willpower and habits. So willpower is that, yeah, finite resource, the ability to um, withstand temptation, do difficult things. Then habits are those automatic routines um, that are in your life that you do without thinking. They're just unconscious things that you slip into. Uh, and that can be very good or it can be very bad, depending right. on if they're, if they're good habits or bad habits. Um, the key is to invest that limited willpower that you have into initiating good habits. Okay. Because here's the thing. I, I think a lot of us don't realize how powerful habits are in shaping our behavior. Mm-hmm. We like to think we go through life making all these intentional decisions about what to do in each circumstance. But often, we're actually just slipping into habits without mm-hmm. even thinking. I, I go to this restaurant and I swear I'm going in there and I'm like, I'm going to order a salad. I'm going to order the salad, you know, with the lean chicken on top. Right. And the waiter comes around to me and all of a sudden I'm ordering a cheeseburger. Like, and, I, and I'm honestly surprised by it. And why did I do that? Because I've gone to that restaurant probably 30 or 40 times. Right. And every time I order a bacon cheeseburger. And so it actually is hard to override that habit with a conscious decision. Mm. So the, that's the, that's the downside of habits. The beauty of them is once you get them initiated and set in place, which is hard, uh, but then if it's a healthy, virtuous habit, it can actually carry you and it preserves that limited willpower so you don't have to expend it. I uh, want to brag on one of my sons real quick. I remember hearing you talk about your brother, one of your brothers, uh, it, it made me think of my son. So um, he read somewhere a, a number of years ago that if you drink soft drinks 
in excess. It stunts your growth. And so he just decided one day, he's like, I'm done. And so he gave him up awesome. for a, a really long period of time. Now he's six, four, he's 14, six, four taller than oh, me. Um, it worked. So I think it worked. Yeah. But you know, he, he has since gone back and, and, and will from time to time have a soft drink, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is incredible <laughs> to me how there are some people who just have this ability to say, I'm not doing it or I am doing it and they do it or don't do it. And so did you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And it's true. And, and you're right. I, I talk about my brother in the book who from a very young age kind of exhibited that iron will, right? Where he would just, yeah. he, I think, what was it? Eight years that he swore off sugar as a kid and he right. did it, right? And he was just super disciplined and, and he's still a disciplined guy. Um, and I was always a little envious of that because that wasn't me. I was just, yeah, not like that at all. Um, and that was one of the perplexing things because I was a little scared when I started researching this. Well, maybe it's just kind of this inborn trait and you have or you don't. And okay, sorry if you don't. Right. Um, and, and I remember talking to a sociologist about this and I remember he said, I loved his analogy. He's like, well, yeah, it's true. Some people just naturally have high levels of self-control. They just are born with this kind of iron will. Um, he said, but it's the same as, uh, the fact that a lot of people are born natural athletes, right? And they're going to be stronger or faster or taller or whatever. But that doesn't mean that those of us who aren't like that don't go to the gym, you know, and get in shape and, 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 and work out. And it's the same with self-control. So even if it, you're kind of fundamentally weak in this area, which I consider myself to be honestly, um, you still want to exercise those, those willpower muscles uh, that self-control, um, and so that you can improve over time, and you really will. Drew, what is the relationship between God's empowerment and human effort? Uh, that's a great question, and I knew this was a kind of a riddle when I started researching this, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, most of what we've talked to up until this point, ah, you don't need God. Okay, grow your willpower, initiate some good habits. Uh, and those are all wise, don't get me wrong. Uh, but there'd be something wrong, I think, if we stopped there and said, well, I can do this all by myself, um, at least from a Christian perspective, uh, because we know that's not true, uh, especially when you read Scripture and you see the commands like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and you read the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, all these things that are impossible to do on your own, no matter how much self-control or willpower you have. Yeah. Um, and so we need the Spirit. And, and I think there's kind of two ways to kind of go off on this issue. I've, I've encountered some people that like one guy online said, man, you got the wrong topic. You shouldn't be talking about self control. It's just spirit control. Mm. You should just, you know, God can control you. You can't control yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I go, well, that's partly true. Obviously the spirit, um, we're promised that the spirit will empower us to live the Christian life and help us resist temptation. Um, but at the same time, there are a ton of um, commands in scripture to resist the devil, to resist temptation, to mortify the flesh, to run the race, to strive for godliness. Um, And so that, to me, suggests some human effort for sure. Um, And then on the other hand, you know, most famous probably uh, mention of self-control in scripture is Galatians 5, Mm -hmm. where it's listed as a fruit of the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's something that grows in our life as we're connected to God. It's not something we just bring about on our own, right? That, That connection to God's spirit is crucial. So it's one of those things where it's not either or, it's definitely both and. And the key is, is to not strive against the spirit, but to strive with the spirit. I do see them as complementary. Okay. I don't see it as, as a sort of thing where you have to choose one or the other. Uh, we, we need to try as hard as we can to resist temptation 
at the same time staying connected to God and, and asking for his help. Yeah, and, and so you mentioned Galatians 5. I think of you know Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Another question I was going to ask is, you know, sometimes folks view self-control as restricting rather than liberating. So, uh, you know, if Christ has set us free for freedom, then there, there seems to be a, a great juxtaposition there. There is. That's a good word for it. Yeah, it's a paradox, too. It's like, and I think partly it, it's our broader culture and even inside the church, we have this idea that self-control is boring and confining, right? It has uh, uh, kind of Victorian repressive overtones. Right. <laughs> you know, when I when I mention it to people, they kind of go, "Ooh," you know, it's like this. Um, and we're we're much more about self-expression. I would say these days, uh, that's that's a virtue that has been mm. almost sidelined. I would say in the broader culture, mm. uh, and that's too bad because obviously I, I disagree with that that view that it's a boring thing. In fact, it's just the opposite, and it's certainly not confining because, yes, it's hard in the short term, right? You're saying no to your desires and impulses, but then we know when you're able to do that, ultimately down the road especially, you're going to live a life of greater freedom. You know, if I, if I go rack up my credit card today because I want to indulge my every desire and spend a whole bunch of money, um, that'll be fun in the short term, mm-hmm. and then the APR on my credit card is going to go up, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, have a greater financial burden, and ultimately, my life is going to be harder, right? Uh, whereas if I exercise self-control today, I'm going to have more freedom down the road. And that's just a whole principle that runs throughout life. It runs throughout Scripture. Um, uh, you know, even in a way when Jesus says you have to lose your life to find it, you know, it, it's this idea of, the, of self-denial now to ultimately fulfill God's best for your life. And I think this runs right throughout our whole lives, all the little decisions we make every day. Um, are you going to do what you want to do? Or are you going to submit your will to God's and mm-hmm. choose his way? And if you do that, ultimately, not only will you glorify God, not only will you love other people, but ultimately you're going to be happy and more fulfilled. Uh, and you're going to live a life of flourishing and freedom and the life that God designed you to live. Let's talk about um, grace enabling self-control. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I love this because there is this idea that people have that, man, okay, well, grace means I'm totally forgiven all of my sins. So why do I need self-control? Right. I get a, <laughs> right. Um, right. You can kind of sin all you want. Uh, and of course the apostle Paul anticipated this objection or this response. He said, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Mm-hmm. He said, by no means, at least in one translation, like no way it's ridiculous. And he's absolutely right. Uh, because if you've been forgiven, redeemed and adopted by God, um, you don't want to go on sinning. You want to exercise self-control and live a godly life. And um, a couple of the studies that I I found really fascinating looked at like um, the one is called the the fresh start effect. And it's researchers that look at at people, they, they tend to have better behavior when they feel like they have a fresh start or a blank slate. So it's why people will start diets on maybe a birthday or New Year's or whatever, because they kind of have this idea that they have a fresh start and they actually do better uh, because of those milestones. And, and I thought about that myself and I thought, man, as Christians, we have the ultimate fresh start, right? Mm-hmm. We're forgiven by God entirely. Um, and when we sin again, as we inevitably do, we can come to God for fresh forgiveness all the time. And what that actually does is fuels better behavior. So mm-hmm. grace it has a, this way of, of uh, like Paul said, it, it, it fuels the, the, the righteous behavior rather than encourages license to sin. 
That's great. Because uh, this podcast is largely aimed at um, reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church, I, I want to read you, you, and, and get you to, to comment on this. Um, <laughs> you, you say, uh, we will always operate out of loves. That means we must rightly order our hearts, taking special care to ensure we are not worshiping anything or anyone other than God. Doing so will help us fulfill the second greatest commandment, loving others. So can you talk about this just for a second? And, and maybe uh, you, you quote uh, Augustine and, and Tim Keller um, in your book talking about disordered loves. And so maybe could you talk about disordered loves for a minute and, and uh, what that yeah. means for a life of worship? Right. This, this traces back to Augustine, the fourth, fourth century um, theologian. Um, and so he talked about, you know, what goes wrong basically when you sin. And he knew a lot about sin. Uh, he was yeah. the guy that wrote the confessions about all his yeah, misdeeds. Right. Um, but he talked about um, having your loves in the right order, right? So um, from a biblical perspective, again, God has to be at the top of the totem pole for right. you, right? And then people and then yourself. Um, and so if you get those things mixed up, right? If you put material possessions at the top, mm -hmm. wow, that creates all kinds of problems, right? And in right. fact, you'll destroy your relationships. You will you know, certainly not be able to uh, please God um, if that's the order of your loves. And so, yeah, for, I think that's kind of the first task when it comes to self-control. So you get those in, in the right order and you cultivate those loves because it doesn't come naturally to us. Right. It's, and it's just not just talking about some sort of feeling in your heart, right? Um, this is about intentionally putting your what you love and, or what you worship in the right order. Um, and so that, that's crucial for developing self-control because in a sense, you can only do what you love, mm -hmm. right? You, mm -hmm. you, when, when you sin, it's because in that moment you love yourself, your pleasure, whatever it is more than God. Mm -hmm. Um, and so and that's huge. And then, you know, and back to the, the, the conversation about grace. Um, you know, when I reflect on the fact that I'm forgiven and that I'm adopted, um, into God's family, it fuels self-control and it fuels worship yeah. because you're grateful, right? That's, right. that's, and, and you glimpse God's, mercy and love for you. Mm. And then you're, you're going to want to worship. Another um, aspect of this is one of the things that's reliably proven, this is the secular research, to bolster self-control and actually combat against willpower being depleted mm -hmm. is prayer. Mm. It's prayer. Mm. Um, it's incredible. And so as Christians, we're probably not surprised by that. We know prayer is powerful, uh, but it's, it, it's one of those, um, what they call a keystone habit, mm. this habit that if you do it will actually exert a positive influence on all areas of your life. So you're going to be more productive. You're going to be um, more likely to say no to temptation in this area, whatever, across the spectrum of your life. And I, I know uh, in my own experience, when I do that, when I start a day with, with scripture reading, with prayer, basically with worshiping God, I am more self-controlled across mm -hmm. the spectrum in mm -hmm. all areas of my life. One of talk about um, discipleship also, uh, because you said some things uh, in the book that uh, really triggered my thinking on this. And um, you, you talk about, um, and, and I'm probably paraphrasing here, so uh, feel free to restate it, but uh, you talk about how um, imparting knowledge is, is not um, enough, that, uh, that there has to be mm -hmm. something else operating. And so someone can have all the knowledge in the world, um, as it pertains to, um, you know, biblical, uh, mandates and they can have a lot of scripture memorized, but if they are not exercising self-control, then, and then all of that knowledge dump is, uh, is really for naught. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, 
and this is kind of a hard one for me because I don't want to minimize the the role of knowledge, especially biblical Absolutely. theological knowledge, right? That's right. foundational, right? You need to get that down first of all, right? So you, you want to know what God is like, um, what God has done, the salvation history in the Old Testament, the you know, all that stuff. So I don't want to minimize that. Sure. And so it's necessary, it's crucial, but it's not completely sufficient. And we know this, right? Because James say, hey, you, you believe in God, good. Even the demons believe that. Congratulations, right? Right. Um, it's not enough, in other words. Um, and so, and I feel like this is where often in discipleship, we've dropped the ball because we give the people this idea that passivity equals spirituality. So, hey, don't worry. You know, God's got you, you're saved, and now you can kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, put your feet up, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Right, right. But that's, that's a real false uh, caricature of what we find in Scripture uh, where we're commanded to strive, like I've talked about. Um, and so self-control is huge, especially when, when you look at younger people um, and you kind of impart that idea. And so when they actually run into obstacles in their Christian life, which inevitably they will, Mm-hmm. And they go, man, this is hard. And then they feel like, well, it shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. Mm. No, it shouldn't be easy. Have, right. you, you know, have you read the Apostle Paul? <laughs> Talks about running the race. And he's like a boxer beating his body and making it his servant, you know, um, and throwing off everything that encumbers him. Mm. Um, and, and man, it, it, the Christian life needs to be hard. It, it's joyful. It's meaningful. Uh, but it's a struggle, man. Mm. You're, you're in a daily struggle against the flesh and the devil. Uh, so welcome to the race. Right. Um, and so I think, and I think actually when you, when you speak that kind of language with people, especially young people, they, they go, yeah, I, I want this. I know life's going to be hard. Um, but, I, but I want to be in the race. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think that's a, a missing element when it comes to discipleship. Um, and ultimately we're not doing people any favors when we, when we kind of toss the self-control and the, the struggling, um, because that's, often what helps them prevail in their Christian walk. So um, sort of as we wind this up, I, I do want to get back to talking about our, our kids. And we, we live in an age that is dominated by screens and by technology oh. and entertainment. And so, um, yeah, we, my wife and I have tried to um, you know, put some safeguards in place and tried to limit screens as much as possible. But maybe could we talk about self-control and this, as, as it's yeah. stated, this digitally distracting culture. Yeah, no, this is a huge challenge of our time, and it's unique to our time, right? Yeah. Uh, our grandparents didn't have to deal with this. Right. Um, and um, I was just reading an article in the New York Times about the value of boredom, how we, when, when it comes to parenting, we want like our kids to be entertained at all times or engaged mm-hmm. in something. And even when we go for a ride in the car, okay, we got to load up the iPad with movies so they're not bored. Heaven forbid, right? Right, right. <laughs> Whereas probably when we were kids, it was like, you're bored? Uh, tough luck. Why don't you go clean your room um, <laughs> or just go outside and entertain yourself, right? Right. Um, and, and, of course, there are studies finding that actually the uh, boredom has great benefits. Um, and I think spiritually it does too because here's the thing. If you're used to constant stimulation, mm-hmm. constant entertainment, and then someone says, oh, you got to go – read your Bible. You got to pray, which demands concentration. You have to go serve the poor, you know, whatever it is, Mm. whatever spiritual practice that you want to engage in, that you need to engage in to grow, it's going to require at least initially some boredom. Mm. I'm not saying it's boring. Ultimately it's, it's thrilling and and fulfilling. Um, But initially you have to be able to quiet your spirit enough and everything about our current culture 
just the inundation of tech. We check our phones 150 times a day. We look at screens for over 37 hours a week. Mm. Um, we're just bombarded from every angle and especially kids that are in the formative years, you know, just neurologically uh, being conditioned with all this new tech. Uh, we're running this grand social experiment and we don't know what the outcome will be, but I don't think it'll be good. Right. So yeah, that's something that we're, that I'm certainly cognizant of with my own kids and it's been hit and miss. It's a challenge. Sure. One little thing that we've done, which I mentioned in the book, I think is try to have no screen Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's just a little thing, but Hey, let's set aside a Sabbath to no movies, no phone, no iPad. Uh, and, and the hardest one is probably for dad. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guilty sometimes sneaking off to check my phone. Um, right. But man, when we, when we pull it off, it's, it's a little slice of heaven. We're just able to look each other in the eye. And of course, we go to church on Sundays. And so that kind of sets the tone. Hmm. Um, but practices like that or no phone after seven or, or leaving the phones when you go to the dinner table, um, things like that are crucial um, boundaries in your life to limit tech. And I'm not some sort of you know, Luddite who says all technology is bad. Right. But if you don't put boundaries in your life, you will be overwhelmed by it and your children will be poorer for it. Mm. Yeah. And it seems like uh, we are becoming unhuman, if that's a word. I don't know. I may have just (laughs) made up a word. But But, uh, yeah, (laughs) we're we're losing um, the ability to communicate. I mean, there's just one thing after another uh, that uh, scares me about the digital uh, distraction that that we have uh, in this culture. Drew, I, I greatly appreciate your time. And this book was extremely helpful to me. And I want to um, encourage uh, all of my listeners to check it out. And uh, really uh, am looking forward to hearing great things from people as they uh, pick this up and read it. And uh, so, man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about it. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, if, any, if, if people are listening to this and they have follow-up questions, they want to reach out to me. Um, it's pretty easy to find me. I'm online, uh, hopefully not on Sundays. If I respond to you on Sunday, you know I've failed, but um, <laughs> you can look me up on Twitter or my email, or if you're in the Northwest, come by and we'll have coffee. Great. And I will link to, uh, to all the ways to get in touch with you on, uh, in the show notes. So, um, man, thank you again. All right. Well, again, I would like to thank Drew for taking the time to talk with us about his new book, Your Future Self Will Thank You. I will link to Drew's new book in the show notes, as well as the ways that you can get in touch with him. And so uh, please drop him a line if you are interested in learning more or just saying hello. If you like what you hear here at Reclamation Worship, please support us by going to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. You can also follow us on Instagram and Reclamation Worship. And join us at reclamationworship.com, where you can look at articles, as well as a new section on J.C. Ryle. And I would love to have your feedback and your interaction. So please feel free to drop me a line. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.